podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey everyone, thank you for joining us. Before we get into a great show with the man, the myth, the legend, coach Shane Southwell, I need to tell you guys real quick about betonline.ag with the NFL and college football in full swing, the NBA playoffs getting into the conference finals, baseball still going, there's no better place to be than betonline.ag. Not only do they have all the game lines, in-game wagering, prop bets, and futures, but they also have the best welcome bonuses in the business. So get over to betonline.ag. They're our exclusive online wagering partners of the entire Armchair Media Network. On top of that, we're also sponsored by the greats over at manscaped.com. You've heard us talk about them for a while now. Not only do they have the lawnmower 3.0 with skin safe technology, so they have a guarantee you're not going to nick, snag, or cut your nuts while you're manscaping with a lawnmower 3.0. They have the single greatest pair of boxer briefs you will ever wear. So get over to manscaped.com and use promo code armchair because you can get all of their elite products for 20% off and free shipping. That's right, 20% off and free shipping using promo code armchair. So remember to visit betonline.ag and manscaped.com. Now, let's get into the show. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Ooh, Bosco's boys. Come on, boys. All right. The boys are back, and we have a massive show coming to you guys right now. It's probably one of our all-time biggest guests. He is a four-year letterman. He's a Big 12 champion as a player. He's one of just eight players in school history to be part of four NCAA tournaments. After he finished his professional career, he came back as a grad assistant and now is one of only six players in school history to also be part of a conference championship as a player and a coach. He went off to Robert Morris. He became part of their coaching staff, and he won a conference title with them and won 20 games. Now he's home. He's the fresh prince of Manhattan, the swaggiest coach ever to grace the sidelines in Manhattan, the man, the myth, the legend, Shane Southwell. Shane, how are you doing on this afternoon? Man, I'm I'm great. Why why got to run for his money now? Because I need an introduction like that for the rest of my time being at back at home. It's it's been great being back. But if I can get introductions like that, I might be the next head coach here. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, Shane. I you let me know anytime you need someone to introduce you into a meeting, into a, you know an event. I'll I'll show up. I'll do my introduction. Then I'll then I'll peace out. I can do that for you. We we're gonna work on that. All right, Shane, I'm going to take it back to day one when you were a recruit. You were a Rivals 150 player. What brought you to Manhattan? Man, um, that's a great question. Just just the atmosphere, the, the, the family atmosphere that comes along with being a Kansas State student athlete, you just get that as soon as you come off the plane and you land in Manhattan from everybody wearing purple, um, from the coaching staff that was previously here. Uh, it's always been a family-based just program, athletic program, from all the way trickles down from Bill Snyder in football uh, down to men's basketball. 
Uh, so that was something that was really, really key to me. Obviously, with some other New Yorkers here at the time, Jordan Henry Catch Roberts, who's currently on staff with me. Um, one of my really, really good friends, Curtis Kelly, who was somebody that um, me and Jordan kind of looked up to growing up, being a guy from Rice High School in New York City and the New York Gaucho, the AU program. So for them two guys to be there before, that I, before I got there, it was almost a no-brainer, you know, to, to be a part of a family, to be a part of, a part of a program that had the potential to be really, really good. It, it was funny because going into that year, Kansas State wasn't ranked in the preseason. Um, the year they went to the lead, they played Xavier and things of that nature. And then in my head, I'm like, this is a Final Four team. And I, I definitely wanted to be a part of that. Uh, so the family atmosphere and the fact that I had guys already from New York was something that really, really pushed me uh, to come to Kansas State University. So you, you mentioned it. They go to the Elite Eight, even though they weren't ranked going into the year. Your first season, Jacob Bowen's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. You guys are playing Virginia Tech as part of the 24-hour marathon of college basketball. That was maybe one of the craziest, most you know, insane seasons start to finish. How, how did you take that in as a freshman, and what was that season like? I mean, it, it was so much that I had to take in and just learn. And, and during those times, it's like during those times you went to the school, you committed to the school that was your highest offer. Like now you see kind of kids go more into the mid-major route, make decisions based on their skill set or, or things of that nature uh, or playing time and things of that nature. So I wanted to be a part of the Big 12, which was the highest level, probably the highest offer I had at the time, them or Marquette, so it was either or. Um, and the fact of coming into school, when I came into school, we preseason pre ranked number three in the country. Uh, and, you know, you talk about the Virginia Tech game, you look forward, you talk about the Duke game, you talk about the, the Florida game. Um, those games were kind of like big, big highlighted games. And for me, I necessarily didn't, when I came in, I didn't necessarily have the expectations of playing 25 minutes, playing 30 minutes. I really truly wanted to learn and be a sponge and play with the likes of uh, Jacob Pullen and Curtis Kelly and things of that nature. And I knew the type of player and type of person I am, the more and more I can become a sponge, the more and more I can learn. By the end of the season, I knew I was going to be able to put myself in a position to, um, to, to play a lot. I didn't know it was going to be a, a starting position. I didn't know I was going to help us win some games to kind of get into the tournament and things of that nature. But it just worked out so well from that freshman year. I learned so much, not only from a coaching perspective, uh, just from playing alongside some of those great players. Um, it's actually funny. Like, that was kind of – that year was kind of the year that I started to think that maybe I can become a coach because – it was my first start against Oklahoma, and <laughs> we had a timeout. Uh, no, it was against Texas Tech was my first start. We had a timeout. Uh, coach Martin's going crazy on everybody. Just the famous Coach Martin timeout. He's going crazy. He's going crazy. He's going crazy. He goes crazy. And then he goes, he looks at me, and he goes, what do you think we should run? And I go, blah, 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 blah. And he actually, he actually ran it. And for me as a freshman, that meant the world to me because it was like, okay, he respects my mind. And then that's when it kind of started kicking in my head, like, you know, down the road, down the road, down the road. Um, this might be a future for me. So I learned a lot that freshman year. <laughs> right. What was your relationship like with Frank Martin and that staff and how shocking and surprising was that when he ended up leaving for South Carolina? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely shocking. Early, you know, to be personally honest, early it was we had a really, really strong relationship. Um, it kind of faded my sophomore year, not necessarily about, I hate you, you hate me, more of just like basketball with the direction of, you know, my career is going with the direction of everybody else's career is going. 
um, and even with the direction of where you're going, what you're doing. Um, so it was it was definitely a, a weird time period that sophomore year, and def- especially when he left and in the situation that happened to Jamar. Um, it was definitely kind of left us up in the air, and even that entire spring from figuring out who's going to be our next coach, and then then it becoming Bruce and things of that nature. So that spring, that's that sophomore year was definitely definitely kind of like a hazy year for me. Yeah. So you mentioned it. What is it like being a player while a coaching search going on? I I mean, uh, I I was a student at the time. I'm listening to radio shows. I'm calling in. I'm I'm reading message boards, Twitter, Doug Gottlieb, all sorts of weird stuff. So what was what was it like for a player seeing, you know, the head coaching job they're talking about on ESPN? It's all over the local news, national news. What's it like for a player? It, it was it was really really like big news like you said at the time you know because what Frank had done for the program um, how kind of abruptly he kind of left and and the Jamar Samuels situation like we we discussed it was kind of a weird airy time I think for student athletes it's a time period where you can kind of refresh your mind um, and kind of restart the recruiting process almost whether you're going to think about transferring or start building that relationship and that recruiting process uh, with the new uh, head, new head coach and new staff that's coming in. So that's what we really wanted to do. Once once we found out with Bruce Weber, it was almost like for all of us, it's like, hey, this is a guy that we know his resume, we know his history. Um, at the time, it makes me sound old, but it wasn't too far removed from the, the, the Final Four and the National Championship game. We kind of grew up watching and knowing that and knowing who he was. So it was like, for us, it was like, you're losing a big time coach, but then you're gaining a big time coach. So we just, at that point, like I said, I already talked about being sponges. We just wanted to learn and actually, in a way, kind of prove that, you know, not necessarily that we didn't need Frank because we, we loved Frank and we liked Frank, um, but just kind of prove to the world that like, hey, we can do this in a transition year because for our seniors at the time, everybody thought we needed an extra year. We didn't know necessarily our seniors was the guy that was going to be able to lead us to a championship. Uh, so it was really, really important for us and for them to, to make their, 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 their presence or legacy known as winners at Kansas State University. And they did that. Rodney, J.O., and, and Martavius definitely did that. So your junior year, you won the Big 12. How sweet was it to be able to accomplish something that hadn't happened since, like, 1977? I mean, it was big time, you know. I didn't, it didn't really kind of hit us until mid-Big 12 that, oh, we're number one in the standards right now, or we're dropping back a game, playing in and out between us and KU. Uh, so for us to win it, it, it means the world, especially that we haven't done it since 1977, um, to be that team. Uh, it was a previous, it was a, a big team that was a really, really good team previously, some of our big brothers in 2010. So for us to kind of, use that against them to say, hey, we got rings. Y'all got a lead eight. That's great, but we got a ring. Um, it's something that's really, really important for us and kind of drove us toward that that middle, middle February going into March to, 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 to do something that's special and to, to do something that's historic in Kansas State. Definitely. So back during the first year of our show, we had Bill Walker on, and he, he gave us a little bit of insight into what it was like playing professional ball in some different countries. After you were at K-State, you, you balled around in uh, a couple of different countries. What was that experience like for you as you, you know, continued on doing a little bit of uh, the professional game? It's a different experience. Um, it's, it's a different basketball. Um, even though I would, I would say NCAA is more comparable to overseas basketball than the NBA is probably, um, but 
you know, when you're 22, 21, 23 years old, and now you're going to a different country, and that country may or may or may not speak English, may or may not have the same food that you're accustomed to eating, and like your luxury becomes going to McDonald's or going to Burger King or going to Applebee's, um, and that's how it pretty much was. So it, it's definitely something that's very, very difficult. Um, and then, and then in terms of playing the game itself, um, when you're in college, it's all about winning and the team. How do you how do you help the team? How do you help win games, how do you help the program? And by helping the team and helping the program, you'll help yourself. When you become a professional, it's, it's truly about you and how you handle yourself, how you make the team win, how you uh, can put yourself in a position to average the most points, to average the most assists and, and things of that nature so that you can get the next job. Because then when you're playing overseas basketball and playing um, at, the, at, the, at the import, your main focus is to get the next job more than anything. So that's something that, that I always took away from the overseas experience that's extremely different from uh, playing in the NCAA. So you played in, I mean, I could be wrong, Mexico, Australia, and uh, Switzerland? Yes. What was the best food out of – what, what food did you come away with from, from those three countries that you're like, that's, that's my Man. meal that I'm eating today? Man, I didn't really get into – food spots per se or like countries where you'd be like yo the food was great like when we when coach Weber and I went to went to Greece this past year it was the USA basketball it was like Greece the food it was beautiful the islands and all that but the food was amazing like <laughs> the food was absolutely amazing Switzerland is known for like their brats and all those different things that I'm already not fans of not a fan of um Australia it's kind of similar to American food Mexico is it's definitely hot, you know what I mean? And then the food is hot, not only at dinner, but in the in the morning. You'll have salsa or chili with your eggs. So that's something I was not a fan of as well. So because those stomach aches was something that that can that can disrupt a practice or a game for you. Uh, so so if, if you had to pick the default one, I would say Australia because it was similar to us. I'll get us back on track. You mentioned, um, you know, that time in the huddle with Frank, but was there another time uh, where you knew you wanted to get into coaching? And what was the process of getting a GA spot on, on Bruce's staff? Um, that was one, one um, particular moment that I, that I knew I, that's where I wanted to do after my career. It's, I probably don't have any other particular moments. Um, I just know I was always a person that studied the game. Um, I was a guy that would <laughs> – like tell coach what we think what I think we should run the first play of the game and so that was always something that I kind of had a passion for um in terms of going through the process you know I was in Switzerland coach Weber you know he does a great job of constantly constantly keeping communication with his student athletes even when they become alums um it almost gets to a point where you have to tell coach Weber like dude I don't play for you no more stop stop texting me I, I don't have class here no more so you can stop texting me, but that's the beauty of being with a guy like that. That's still going to keep tabs with you and still keep that relationship with you. Cause he's like a, he's like a dad for, for a lot of us and just how he, his approach to, to, to life. So he called, he, he called me and was just like, Hey, I'm, I have this opportunity this opening um, to get on staff. Uh, I don't know if he told me GA at first, uh, <laughs> but then when he finally told me GA, you know, at first I kind of like was like, nah, I don't know if I can do it because I was having such a great season um, in Switzerland. But then I spoke to my mother, um, the opportunity to get my master's, the opportunity to be to be a part of Kansas State again, and the opportunity to start, you know, a new life, a new career 
was something that I had to jump on. And um, I'm glad I've I done it. Um, that process is something that I, I if, you, if you're trying to get into basketball and you're trying to become a coach, I would highly recommend um, starting that process of being a GA and, and, and learning, the, learning the game in that, in that way. So as you're a GA, you know, probably the most successful GA K-State's ever seen, you, you were part of the Elite Eight team, the Big 12 championship team as a GA. How did those accomplishments feel being on the coaching staff versus how were those, like, accomplishments when you were a player? What's, what's the differences? How, how much higher or lower is there? Are you just like, hey, I got the power cow on my chest. It's, it's always great. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question, like a, a really, really good question because it, it talks about your, your different, your mental. Um, I, think, I think it's almost, you know, for fun and giggles right now when I talk about me as a player in 2013 and I got a ring and I got a championship and things of that nature. It almost holds no weight for me at this point. You know what I mean? Um, I will always hang my hat on that Elite Eight and that Big 12 championship team, even in my small role at the GA. Um, to have that opportunity to work out with those guys and then see them perform, perform it on the court, on the court uh, it's, or give Barry Brown some instructions and he takes it and applies it to the game, that just made my, my coaching antenna just go through the roof and my love for coaching go through the roof where I can never kind of feel that passion for me in particular as a player, you know, because it's almost one-sided. You know, if I make this shot, it makes me feel good. If I pass the ball and he makes the shot, it makes me feel good. Um, but now when you're coaching and you're playing almost checkers or chess, you know, it, and the pieces kind of go together and it works out, that, that's a different feeling and a feeling that's very, very special. So I would definitely say my GA years um, trumps, trumps the, the, the Big 12 championship in 2013 and, and my four appearances as a player in NCAA, it, it definitely would trump that for my, for my own personal uh, opinion. What was it like for you to take the step up um, as an official assistant coach at a program like uh, Robert Morris? Man, it was big. It, it truly was big. And I'm not just saying that because for us Northeastern and us guys in the Northeast, like Robert Morris is actually like that really good. Like if you could get a scholarship from Robert Morris, I remember when I was coming up, that kid that got that scholarship from Robert Morris, you was like, oh, he could play. He's not Big 12, Big East, ACC, but you knew like, okay, he could play. Uh, so Robert Morris was always always respected as one of those really good uh, mid-major programs. Um, so for me to get the opportunity there was a no-brainer, and it was something that was that I I take to heart really really much because Andy Tool was a guy that was just like me ten years prior, a young assistant, a guy looking to find his way, and then in two years from his assistant his assistant role at Robert Morris, boom! Now he gets the head job, and not only does he take the head job, he kind of he kind of elevates it. He elevated the program um, from him being, being in Kentucky and things of that nature and being St. John's the year after. It was almost a three-year span where they'd be three different high majors and some postseason play. Uh, so, so it was really, really important for me to get that job and take advantage of that opportunity. I was lucky and blessed to kind of be a, a fly on the wall for Andy that year. Um, and so it was, it was definitely amazing for me. So when Brad Korn got his head coaching job, how quickly did you think, all right, this might be my chance to come back home and rejoin Coach Weber's staff? And then how quickly did it develop? You want to hear something funny? You can ask Coach Corn this. So, <laughs> BK, BK, BK is not necessarily a night owl. You know what I mean? And, and 
he's 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 fun to be around. Oh my god, so fun to be around. But at ten forty five, he's done. Like his day is done. Don't talk to him. Don't text him. Don't call him. Nobody. Boss, wife, nobody. He's done. Right. So I get a call around like eleven thirty at night from him. I'm thinking something's wrong. Like something's wrong. Right. Then I can hear in the voice in his voice that nothing's really wrong. He just kind of wants to talk. And, and he started talking about him getting the opportunity to be the head coach at SEMO. And in my head, I'm thinking, damn, I got to tell Brad I'm not going to go with him to SEMO. I'm going to stay at Rob Morris. So um, I'm thinking in my head, like, how I'm going to tell Coach Coach Corn, my really, really good friend, a guy that's like a mentor to me, like, how am I going to say no to Brad Corn if he asked me about the SEMO job? How am I going to say no to how I'm going to say no? And he was like, Shane, you might got an opportunity to get the assistant job at Kansas State. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, BK, like, no, that doesn't, the world doesn't even work like that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's not even how it goes. Then Coach Weber called the next day, and it was like, and Coach Lowry called me, and then it became an actual thing um, early in that week. And that's when it kind of hit me when I, when, it, when, when I spoke to Coach Corn because I had no idea I was actually ready to turn, turn him down. So you've made a name for yourself a little bit on the recruiting trail. Um, a lot of recruits, when they talk about coaches they connect with, they, they typically bring up your name when K-State's being referenced. What is it that's made you, you know, such an effective recruiter so quickly? I mean, none of that mean nothing unless they verbal or sign to Kansas State University. So job not done. <laughs> so, but, you know, I think my ability to connect not only with guys younger, uh, obviously, we share the same, you know, demographics. I'm, I think I'm still part of their generation. I think we're still considered millennials. Um, I don't know if they, they, they're a new generation. They might be a new, but they might be Generation Z or something. I don't know. But I'm hoping that they're still millennials. Um, so that having that ability to connect with them and talk about basketball, talk about the game, talk about different things in their life that's still fresh for me. Um, I think that game that that really really gives me an advantage, and just selling the purples. It's it's easy for me to sell purple because I've been through it. You know, selling Robert Morris was one, one thing. I become a real salesman. I had to put my salesman hat to sell Robert Morris. But me as Shane Southwell trying to sell Kansas State is almost not even a sell. I'm just telling my experience, telling my teammates' experience, telling my experience that I had with the coaching staff, what I had with this program, what I had with this university. It's almost like me not even selling. It's like me telling a story. Um, so it's, it, it's definitely been great thus far, but like I said, job not done. Definitely. So at K-State, I don't know if it's a coincidence you leave and, you know, they didn't quite live up to expectations last year, but th there is some optimism with all the young talent around. What have you seen from these guys early on these workouts and early practices that might give some fans some excitement for this upcoming year? I think just the fact that, you know, I, I, I keep speaking about this, but being a sponge is really, really important. And these young guys that came in um, put on their listening hats and they want to listen and they want to get better. I think COVID almost helped that because everybody's been in a situation where they kind of just was sitting down trying to figure out what's next. Um, but our guys really came in with a mind state of wanting to be better and wanting to improve on something that maybe they wasn't a part of or they was a part of as young players last year. Uh, so everybody knows what's, what's, what's the goal. Um, and the goal is to get better every single day. And they, those guys have done that. We've been in a beautiful position thus far to work out pretty consistently while other programs in the country have not. Um, I think that's something that's going to give us an advantage because it can build chemistry, it builds skill sets, it builds all those different things, it builds terminology and knowing how we coach as a coaching staff that they probably wouldn't 
almost get no other time period. And, and it's, it's really, really exciting. Um, we, 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 we come in with a, a recruiting class that was almost top 20 in the country. So we, that means we're bringing in the right talent. Um, now we just got to apply that talent to the game-like situation. Um, so right now, you know, we're up in the air the same way as fans, you guys are up in the air. But we do feel really, really, really confident about our guys, especially in the future. We know we got really good guys, and that's important, um, that guys that, 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 that truly value what you say as a coach and believe and trust. When you got guys that trust what you say as coaches, you can tell them to run a simple pick and roll. But if they trust that it's going to work 10 out of 10 times, then they're going to try to make it run and make it work 10 out of 10 times. But if they don't trust you, then they don't trust you, and it's not going to work. Um, so that thing, that's the biggest thing right now. Our guys trust us, and, and we got their air right now, and that's really, really important, and we just got to keep building on that. Shane, from your perspective, how big of a jump do you think Dejuan Gordon can make from his freshman to sophomore season? He can make a big jump, and I think the biggest jump for him is just being simple. Um, I think the simple for his particular skill set, the, the more simple he is, the better he actually can be. Um, he, he already has some tools that almost innate you can't teach. Um, now it's about just applying with the skill set that you, ne you need to get better at, the shooting aspect, the ball handling aspect, the footwork aspect, which he's constantly improved, improved on. We, we got to remember he's a freshman. And hopefully with guys like that that, that, that have some good, good showings and good games, you, you expect them to improve the following year. And we expect the same thing from him. He has improved over this summer and this fall, especially in his shot. His shot is, is a different shot, but it's, 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 it's more accurate. Um, and we would like to think that's because of the work that he's put in. So he's been, done a really good job of being, being a guy that's put in a lot of work and almost leading by example, um, being first in sprints, being first in th different things like that, which is really, really good and a good sign for a kid like that going forward. So you mentioned it just a couple answers ago that you had almost a top 20 recruiting class. Two guys in that class I think is that are getting most of the hype uh, from fans is Salt Miguel and Nigel Pack. What have you seen from those two guys early on as freshmen? What sort of impact could they make in their freshman season? The fact that they can, they can listen and apply really quick. You, you don't have to tell them things two, three, four, five, six, seven times. Uh, I tell them one thing, they get it, and they know they know how to apply it, and now they go after it. Um, they come in with already a high high basketball IQ to both of them, and for me, I didn't necessarily know them. You know, I just had to watch video and stuff like that because I wasn't a part of Kansas State recruiting last season. Um, but it's been a pleasant surprise in terms of their basketball IQ to both of them, their ability to read stuff, their ability to pick things up. Um, they, we, we know their skill sets when you just watch the videos, you know, their ability to shoot and make plays. But for me as a coach, the one thing that, you know, when you worry about freshmen, you worry about younger guys is how can they retain and how, they, how can they apply information. Um, and they both do a really, really good job of that. And they both already have voices. Um, Nigel already comes in with a soft voice. But, you know, that's something we've worked on. We were trying to work on him with that because he knows the game. You know what I mean? And Sal Miguel, he already has a voice that everybody just tends to uh, going to listen. So that's already the positive for our guys right now. Shane, are there any other guys in the class or on the squad that may not be getting as much hype uh, from the fans that they should be? Or should we keep our secret weapons kind of under wraps? I would love to keep our secret weapons under wrap, but um, they all, they all been great thus far. I think um, when you talk about Luke Kasebi, everybody know he comes in and sh he can shoot it, but he's another guy that comes in with a, another high, 
level basketball IQ, playing at Chaminade, playing with the MoCan AAU program. Him and Davion playing with the MoCan AAU program. They already come in with a, with a high basketball IQ. And that's really, really important for freshmen. And then Siri Lewis comes in with a, a guy that you're talking about with, 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 with great upside. Um, he's a guy that has a, a big time energy and the potential and we just trying to tap into that potential every single day so i'm gonna keep it right there and keep some of that the secret weapons under wrap that's fair that's fair um before we we get you out of here i want to hear just give us at least one funny good story about one of your teammates from back in your playing days oh i got too many you know, the butter of all our jokes would be Jordan Henriquez. Like that's 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 easy. Um man, you, you caught me off guard with that. It's almost to the point where it's like so many stories in my head that's popping up right now. I I'll just leave it at this because one that just jumps to mind. Um, you know, the tunnel dance that you know Martavius kind of got famous for. Um, but nobody knows because of the the the, the sound and the intro being in Bramlage and things that, that and things like that. Nobody knew that. Tay was actually dancing to J.O. beats. Like, J.O. was banging on the wall, banging on the door, making the beats that Tay was actually dancing to. And J.O. gets no credit for that, and J.O. hates that he gets no credit for that, because everybody just associates the tunnel dance with, 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 the, with, the, with, the, with the rapper, but don't forget, but they forget the producer, how he says it. Um, but, you know, the funniest part about that is <laughs> my sophomore year, we, we kind of went on a, a losing streak, um, we still trying to find our way because we were the young team that was figuring out our way without Jacob, without without Curtis Kelly and things of that nature. And Frank goes, Frank starts, Frank before the game says nobody wants to hear the seven foot uh, beatbox. Uh, so don't, don't we're not doing that. Straight to, go straight from the 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 the, the, the pregame speech and go go right in from the tunnel and, and get out there. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear from the seven foot beatbox, the human seven foot human beatbox. So we couldn't even help it. We just started laughing and um, we went out there. Uh, we didn't do the tunnel dance. We actually lost at home and we was all mad at Frank saying we should have did the tunnel dance. So that's on Frank to be honest with you. He should have let the human beatbox do his thing. Last question before we let you kind of sign us off. If we can, do you have any good Bruce Weber or Coach Lowry stories that you know, won't get you in trouble? No. I, I, <laughs> the, only, the only thing is, you know, I don't, I'm not going to – I'm going to leave the stories out. But, you know, just being in Greece with Coach and seeing him in a different way, and then he, he got to kind of let his hair out, his, his, let his hair down because he's in another country. He's not under the eye of Kansas State and things of that nature. But to see him, you know, as the man, Bruce Weber, and him for him to see me as the man, Shane Southwell, and not, you know, the coach player or the coach GA role uh, was really, really cool. So I'll keep those stories to ourselves. But that dude is a funny man. Let, let's just leave it at that. He's a funny man. He's, he's very entertaining. And he's a guy that, you know, is very adventurous. I know Bar. I know Barstool saw some pictures of him uh, or videos of him diving into pools and things like that, but he does that quite a few. Like when we go different places and we be in the ocean, he'll be the first guy to lead the snorkeling things and th things to that nature, jump on jet skis and stuff like that. So he's, he's a fun guy. I think he's fun, a funner guy than people would expect or know, um, but I'm glad I got to see that growing up during, this, during these times. Definitely. So thank you so much for joining. Every time we have a guest on, 
we just let them, you know, have the platform to tell all the K-State fans listening uh, anything you want to. So we'll give you this platform, uh, say whatever you want to everyone listening. No, I just want to say thank you guys during this time. Obviously, it's been tough times for every everybody, all the Wildcats everywhere across the nation. Uh, continue to support, continue to support our athletic program, not only uh, our athletic program and players um, as players, but continue to support them as people and as young men um, and as young women. So we really appreciate that. Um, as a Kansas State coach now and uh, being a part of the staff, we really, really appreciate you guys not only uh, loving us as as players, uh, but loving us as people in general. Awesome. Shane, thank you so much. Uh, everyone listening, we love you guys. Listen to what Shane said. Support them not as just athletes, just coaches, but as human beings. I think that's a great rule of thumb uh, for everyone to hear right now. So, Shane, thank you for that. And uh, we can't wait to see you back on the sideline and hopefully uh, get back to, you know, being the best-looking coach in the Big 12 in those suits. Got to help J.O. out a little bit. He's a young guy. He, he should be dressing a little bit better. I won't, I won't throw any other coaches under the bus, but I, I'm so happy that you're back with the program. No, I really appreciate that. And, I, and I'll probably go take a, a J.O. suit shopping in the next few weeks so we can get ready for the season. That's hopefully a upon us so I'll, I'll take that into heart and I'm and I'm glad I can tell him you said it not me because he'll, yes. he'll just get defensive with me yeah no I, I I'll uh I'll, I'll tweet him if I need to I'll tweet him if I need to <laughs> please please look it can't be easy for a seven footer to get a suit that is true that is true. even even at six six it's tough for me and then that's about four to five more inches so that, that that's tough Jane thanks for coming on man no I appreciate it yep. it's been fun I really appreciate you guys yep All thanks right. again Meet me at the Cathead.
Social Podcast Network.